Hello and welcome to ICI Digs Deep, sponsored by Modified Concrete Suppliers, LLC. Today, Richard Hedgecock, President of ICI, speaks with Rich Giuliano, General Counsel and Managing Director, Contractors Division of ARTBA, about national issues surrounding our industry. Hey, welcome to the latest edition of the ICI Digs Deep podcast. We're joined today with uh, an old colleague of mine. Well, I should say our relationship has been for a while. It's not <laughs> that he's old. But a colleague of mine, uh, Rich Giuliano from ARTBA. So, Rich, give us the elevator speech on ARTBA and let's establish some parameters of who you are and where you're coming from. First of all, Richard, like many of us, I've felt old the last few months, uh, <laughs> given everything that's going on. Uh, but uh, yes, we are uh, based here in D.C. That's where I'm speaking to you from uh, today. Uh, American Road Transportation Builders Association. We represent the transportation construction industry. That's really the easiest way to put it. We have eight different membership divisions that collectively uh, involve all the entities and the people in the private and public sector who uh, plan and build and maintain uh, our transportation infrastructure system around the country. Uh, so our contractors are the biggest group. That's the group that I help manage. That's about two-thirds or so of our membership. It includes three dozen chapters, including ICI, around the country. Uh, but we also have the engineers, we have the suppliers, we have public officials, and on and on it goes. We also have a P3 division, public-private partnerships, which we formed about 30 or so years ago uh, as well. And that's another one that uh, that I'm involved with uh, on a staff level. But your uh, title is, is, it's long. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> too many words. Yeah. I, I've been at ARPA for uh, more than 18 years now. 2002, I joined. I started working with our contractors uh, a little while after that. We did have a uh, a change, uh, sort of a generational change here uh, within the last couple of years. Our uh, 30-year CEO, Pete Ruane, retired, uh, well-deservedly so, uh, at the end of 2018. Our new CEO, we say new, it's now been a year and a half, but Dave Bauer, who has been here for 20 plus years in charge of our government relations, he's now our CEO. Uh, and as part of that, um, I did go to law school a long time ago. I did get a law degree. I did pass the bar. So um, as I tell people, I can no longer deny being a lawyer in sort of the reorganization. I was made the general counsel at the beginning of, uh, of 2019. Uh, so I do a lot of the things I have been doing all along, which is working with contractors on on those policy issues and advocacy, working with our P3 division, helping with our political action committee and just a number of other things. But then I added to that some of the in-house uh, legal responsibilities here for the association. So you've got a lobby team, I presume, that goes out on Capitol Hill. And how extensive is that? And what's their reach? We have two senior people who spend pretty much all of their time doing that. So they're in, in contact with Capitol Hill, with members of Congress, their staff, the administration. They spend you know, 98% of their time doing that. In particular, the staff, uh, the, the committee staff, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but these folks have a lot of credibility and they're very well known to staff of the key committees in Congress. 
And then there are another of the rest of us help with that. We get involved in that from time to time, but primarily those two. Do they also handle regulatory things with agencies, the same folks? Well, actually, uh, there's another group of us that, that spends a lot of time on that, too. Uh, so we have a gentleman, Nick Goldstein, uh, who some of your members probably have encountered. That's his primary responsibility is monitoring all of the regulatory activities on the federal level and uh, organizing our comments on regulatory changes and litigation. Unfortunately, sometimes it involves that. And he, uh, he organizes that. He works with me primarily, but with others uh, on those as well. And he will often, uh, we will encourage our chapters and our members to participate in the regulatory process and in the legislative process. So all these folks I'm talking about, including myself and our CEO and others, will be knocking on your door from time to time, as you know, encouraging you to get involved in all this stuff. So you made the point that I was just getting ready to make. We find ourselves, you and I and others of our ilk, we spend a lot of time in the association world encouraging our members to see the big picture and to not get so stuck in their daily lives and routines to understand that they, not only is it in their best interest, but they must participate in the things that they consider to be a little out of bounds of their regular work day. And that is contacting legislators, writing letters, sending notes, dropping emails, all those sorts of things, developing those relationships that can be so important to what we do. Well, that's exactly right. And it's a complementary relationship between the members and what we can do as an association. We work together on those sorts of activities. In other words, we're here on Capitol Hill. You're in Indianapolis. You're talking to the governor, to the legislature, to uh, the DOT uh, on the state level. We're doing the same parallel on, on the federal level. But ultimately, as we tell people, particularly as a national association, you know, they need to hear from their constituents. Right. So nobody in ARPA's office is a uh, resident of Indiana. We can go talk to your congressional delegation, which we do. But when they hear from your members, it takes it to a different level. And there can also be a very localized conversation about, you know, if we want to be able to fund this bridge or we want to be able to do this project or, you know, some of the people who work for my company, congressman, you know, or we've known you since you've been a state legislator years right. ago. You can make that point. So we frame it the way I look at it is we can frame it up. But you really have to paint the picture on the yeah. local level. Right. That's right. Uh, I, I stress to people all the time, developing those relationships, letting those people know uh, how many employees you have, what kind of a impact you have on the local economy. Those are so important in, in getting our message across because these legislators, they have a lot of things coming at them, not just highways. They not only want to know what, they, what you have to say, they need to know what you have to say because they don't know. They straight right. don't know. And unless we're there making that case, nobody is. Yeah. Don't assume that they know everything about how transportation is funded from the federal standpoint. We try to educate again. We're here in D.C. all the time. We try to educate on that when new members of Congress, new staff come in. We provide information to them about that. But again, when a group comes in 
Sometimes you, under normal circumstances, sometimes you do meetings here in D.C., come to town and go uh, up to Capitol Hill and meet. Sometimes you do meetings back home or ideally your member of Congress comes out to your job site or to your office or whatever uh, or to one of your ICI meetings, whatever it is. And don't assume that they know everything because you're right. They may be focused on other issues. They may be on different committees, but uh, you can certainly make the point that what we're doing is very important to them. That's right. So enough about that. Let's uh, talk about what's going on in D.C. right now. It's a weird time, as we've continued to say. What are we hearing about federal funding? What are we hearing about the trust fund? All those bring us up to date on all those things. Sure. Well, Believe it or not, it's been about five months now that we've been in this situation. Uh, we marketed around, uh, I know that March 16th was the first day that uh, here at ARPA that we started working from home uh, and did that on a full-time basis and then started to reopen up on a limited basis a few months ago. But uh, that's sort of when I mark the time when the pandemic really started to hit around the country. I will note that the first thing that we were doing here, we spent a lot of time on, was trying to ensure that the industry kept working around the country. And, and you're aware of this because we've been in very close contact with, with you and your counterparts who run our state associations over the last several months. Uh, the first concern, as a lot of people know, is that there was the possibility of projects shutting down because of the pandemic. And in fact, they did shut down in Pennsylvania. They shut down in Washington State and in Vermont. Thankfully, those were the only three states, and they have since reopened. But we wanted to make sure that transportation construction, public works construction, however you want to describe it, was classified as essential. So part of that, there's an agency within the Department of Homeland Security here in D.C. that puts out guidance to the states about what are essential workers, essential positions. And they have a pretty long list of several dozen, actually hundreds of different positions. We wanted to make sure that we were on that list. And with some other partners here in D.C., we advocated with DHS and they included that uh, public works construction and materials manufacturing and other positions that are important to our industry were on that essential list. But then the second part of that was that governors including your own, were making decisions about stay-at-home orders, about keeping projects going or not. And in many cases, fortunately, they just pulled right from that federal guidance, sometimes word for word. Uh, so as a result of that, uh, we were able to keep working in just about every state, as I mentioned, uninterrupted. Now, understanding that we had new health and safety protocols relating to the pandemic, we have a very public industry, you know, Everybody's out there working. Everybody these days has a camera who drives by. We get the smart Alec who says, oh, that guy's not wearing a mask. I'm going to take yeah, a right. picture and tweet it or send it to the media or whatever. And the other challenge was that in the media back in the March, April timeframe, there were stories about construction, quote unquote, but they didn't always distinguish between transportation, horizontal construction, if you will, which is what we do what our members do, 
and other forms of construction. And all due respect to them, but if you're inside doing a building or you're much closer together, all the different workers and so forth, it can be a different situation in terms of safety and health. So we had to make sure that everybody understood, the media and legislators and Congress and everybody else understood that there was a difference and that our members are used to working uh, very publicly. They work for public agencies and that was important to them. So again, that was the first phase of it was keeping everybody working. Now we get into the issue of funding, as you mentioned. You know, there are a couple of different aspects of that. On the federal level, the first thing is that AASHTO, which is the basically the Association of State DOTs, which INDOT is a member of, they tried to quantify the amount of lost revenue from the pandemic. As everybody knows, traffic has gone down, particularly in the March, April, May time frame. In many cases, it went way down uh, in a lot of places because of these stay-at-home orders. So obviously, revenues went down, whether it was fuel taxes, tolls, um, sometimes there are um, taxes or fees on auto purchases, all that sort of thing. Those all were going down. So ASHO came up with a number of $50 billion that they believed was a downturn in revenue nationwide for fiscal years 20 and 21 across all the different states. Uh, They came up with that number. So they have been asking Congress, and we have supported that, for a a short-term backstop for that revenue, which could be used by state DOTs for construction, but also for overhead, salaries, maintenance, basically whatever the DOTs wanted to use it for. Uh, A little bit different than normal federal funding, but that's what they were asking for. Congress ultimately has not acted on that as of yet. Uh, ASHTO revised that to a $37 billion request because the picture got a little bit better as traffic has started to come back in recent months. But it's still a, a downturn in revenue that has affected some states more than others, really. But we and other national groups have supported that short-term request. I will mention to you that, and some people know this, in some of the relief legislation, particularly the CARES Act that Congress passed back in March, they included $25 billion for transit agencies around the country and a billion dollars for Amtrak and $10 billion for airports. That was a little bit frustrating from our standpoint in some ways. I mean, we support transit construction and airport construction. We have members who do that and we support that funding. But the issue was that the transit agencies and the airlines could tell you with precision in real time how they were being affected by the pandemic. Sure. They could tell you the ridership went down by this much compared to last week, compared to a year ago, whatever. So they were able to go to Congress right away and to make that case. In our situation, as you know, on the state level and your members know, there's a lag there. So the numbers from the pandemic didn't really start to come in until maybe the May timeframe and after that, uh, in terms of the gas tax receipts being down and other revenue indicators and so forth. That's right. That's right. So that's part of the reason. That's part of the challenge. So Congress really has not passed another comprehensive relief package since March The House passed what they called the HEROES Act in May. It did include $15 billion for state DOT relief and another $15 billion for transit. 
The Senate has not acted on their end. Many who have followed this uh, know that Senator McConnell, your neighbor to the South, who uh, runs the Senate as majority leader, put out his proposal uh, some weeks ago and didn't include anything for transportation in it. His main concern is uh, limiting liability for uh, employers relating to the pandemic. And we support that as well. I mean, that's another issue that we agree on. But our priority is funding and investment and keeping the DOTs going. And so we think that it's really a negotiation that he knew that was in the Democrats' version of the bill in the House. And so it's a negotiating point where if and when they do sit down and do this next relief bill, that's something that they can kind of go back and forth on as far as transportation is concerned. Modified Concrete Suppliers, LLC, is an on-site material supplier of latex modified concrete, which has been predominantly used since the 1960s to repair reinforced concrete bridge decks throughout the United States. They were founded and have been an associate member of ICI since 1975. To get in touch, give them a call at 317-634-5258. And is it something not to be indelicate or put you on the spot, but this situation has sort of shown a spotlight on some states who are experiencing financial difficulties across the board, not just in transportation, but it's been sort of highlighted by this pandemic and some states Indiana, others that have sort of taken care of their business are in better position than some of those. And I think that's part of the debate too, right? Going on with some of these legislators is they don't want to bail out states for things that they've been screwing up for years. I think you are correct in looking at it that way in the sense that this problem, the fiscal repercussions of the pandemic which obviously nobody expected. We would never be having this conversation, you know, a year ago or probably even six months ago. But some states, yes, had uh, ongoing fiscal issues or particularly transportation funding issues. Despite the best efforts of our state associations who have done a great job, and some of them just are working in very difficult environments. Sure. I think of Missouri, for instance, and you know the folks in Missouri as I do, who are very, very skilled advocates for the industry, but they have constitutional issues in that state, they have political issues in that state, and it's gone on for years and years and years, and they have never gotten the state funding that they need. Well, something like this comes along, the pandemic, and all of a sudden, you're in a very difficult position. You know, they're furloughing people at MoDOT and so forth. There are other states that are in that situation too. And I think that our state leaders would be the first ones to recognize and to say, well, this is why we've been out there advocating for state funding all this time, because we were concerned about a situation like this coming along. Exactly. And you're right, Indiana and other states that are on more solid ground in that regard you know, I mean, you, you can't go on forever in this environment, but at least in the short term, you're in a much better position to weather this. All that being said, no matter what state you are, whether you have a huge reliance on federal funding or a smaller reliance on federal funding, we all have federal funding as a significant part of our 
That's right. Right. Again, there are two uh, sort of the short term and a long term approach to this that we've been working on and trying to make progress on both sides. The, I, I described the short term, which is relief for state DOTs. Uh, the longer term is the service transportation reauthorization bill called the FAST Act, Fixing America's Service Transportation. It was passed at the end of 2015, and it expires at the end of September of this year. So just about five weeks away, it is going to expire at the end of federal fiscal year 2020. and. We've been pushing on that for many, many, many months, as have other national groups. The Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, of which Senator Braun's a member, voted unanimously for their piece of the bill over a year ago. They were working on this earlier rather than later, before the pandemic was even a, a thought, with a, a large increase in highway funding, federal highway funding included in it. Uh, the House a couple months ago passed what they called the Invest Act, which had a lot of different kinds of things in it, but included some some good funding increases for highways and transit uh, and otherwise, which we were supportive of. And we were advocating very diligently for the House and the Senate to get together and get a final multi-year bill done by the end of September so we could move ahead with increased funding in it so that we could lead the recovery because the $37 billion for DOTs that I described a minute ago, that's basically just to fill the hole. We've been saying if you want our industry to lead the recovery, which we have done in the past, we have to have additional funding to be able to do so. So unfortunately, it looks like Congress is not going to get that work done by the end of September. So what we're now doing, and again, partnering with several other associations, AASHTO, AGC, many other ones, the U.S. Chamber is involved in this, and labor unions, by the way, are involved in this discussion too. We're saying, let's do a one-year extension of the FAST Act. Let's make it turnkey, basically just an extension of current policy, so we're not making a lot of changes to it right now. The money can still go out. And we need additional funding in there for the next year, over and above where we are right now, so that there are going to be more projects, more people to employ. Contractors will hire people to buy some equipment, they'll buy materials, they'll help the economy in, in a number of different ways. Uh, so that's what we're engaged in right now. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the average member of Congress has a lot on his or her plate. Well, the leaders in Congress have that much, uh, you know, exponentially. Sure. And so we're saying to them, don't just push it past the election. I mean, they'll do an extension of some length. We're saying just don't push it just to December or something like that. Just give us a year and then let's come back to this after the new president or the existing president is sworn in again in January and the new Congress comes in and then we'll work on this throughout 2021. Uh, so that's that's the second piece of this that we're working on right now. Well, that's great. I think we've taken enough of your time and we appreciate the overview you've given us and what's going on in DC. We'll try to get you back on again another time. Maybe we'll get in Dr. Black some others. Absolutely. We're all available to you as a group and individually, your members, and we know a number of them, but any of them are welcome to contact us uh, at any time. And we should appreciate your support too. We've had a, I believe with your association, we go back to the 1960s, our relationship long before you and I were, were here in our present positions, but you're really the backbone to what we do, the network out there. 
And, and I would mention in closing that that was never more evident than when we saw all of you working on the state level to keep the industry and the projects open back in the spring. And as you know, we were doing a, a report, and I just did the 65th of edition of it uh, yesterday, showing what's going on in all the different states. And this was largely provided by information from all of our chapters about what's been happening in the past months. And all of you shared that information. You showed it to your decision makers in the states. And you said, hey, look, this state has this good idea about staying open and healthy practices. This state did this, so forth and so on. And I think together we were able to keep everything together and we'll continue to do so. Yeah, I don't want to belabor it, but the regular calls and updates that you've made to what's going on all across the country has been invaluable to us in being able to show what others are doing and push it along for everybody. Right. Thank you. Thanks to everybody at ICI. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to our guests, Rich Giuliano and Richard Hedgecock, as well as our sponsor, Modified Concrete Supplier, LLC. To learn more about Modified Concrete Supplier, LLC, give them a call at 317-634-5258. Join us every Friday during your morning commute to hear safety talks, member spotlights, and inside information about the infrastructure and transportation construction industry. This has been ICI Digs Deep. Let's break ground together. Together.